0: Hey guys and welcome to the alabama freshwater fishing report presented by geico of mobile the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for alabama's lakes and rivers whether it's good bad or ugly this week's sponsor is your local geico of mobile hey y'all did y'all know geico offered water service that's right it'll cover breakdowns gas problems All kind of stuff like that that we may run into on the water. Hey, and you can even bundle it with your existing boat insurance to save more. Call Ron Davis of GEICO Mobile and get you a quote, 251-445-0053. That's Ron Davis at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash A-L. I'm your host, Brian Sin, and today we are joined by our co-host, Norman Latona.
1: What's going on, Norman? Hey, Brian, how are you? Good I'm to be doing, here.
0: I'm doing good, man. I would rather be out fishing, but hey, if we're not fishing, at least we can be talking about it, right?
1: You got that right.
0: Steven Wisdom, our normal co-host, had a another engagement, and I mean, we all get pulled in different directions, so we completely understand that. We, we'll miss him on the show today, but uh, he will be back with us next week, so we appreciate Norman uh, standing in, and man, I'm a, we're going to jump right to this thing, Norman. On our first segment today, we are, are very excited and honored to have Stetson Blaylock on here. Stetson, what's going on, man?
2: Hey guys, I'm glad to be here. Glad that y'all having me on. It's uh, it's that time of year, you know. We've uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm ready to get back after this tournament season. And uh, you know, the classic was a seems like a distant memory now. Back in March, so it's time to get back on the trail.
0: Well, man, you brought the classic up. Let's stay right there for a minute. Congratulations, brother, man. number three finisher there that's uh that, that ain't nothing to sneeze at there man congrats on that that's a big deal
2: i appreciate it yeah that you know i think uh for me being my first classic uh being the 50th bass master classic i think that says enough right there just fishing for as long as i have having the confidence that i could make that tournament and actually competing that tournament has always been there but actually Getting on that stage, being there that week and enjoying everything that that was, you know, that Birmingham and Lake Gunnersville had to offer it was pretty special just to uh, just to be able to represent myself and my family and sponsors and just everybody that's involved with my team. To be able to have a top five finish in my first class was pretty special, no doubt.
0: That is phenomenal. No doubt about that. Well, let me ask you, man, because I know, you know, as a as a baseball player, I always kind of. You know, through college and, and, and even before that in high school when you're coming up, you're always kind of you got it envisioned of you know, I always had an envision in my mind of okay, when I got to Auburn, man, what's it gonna be like to play at uh, at Mississippi State or at LSU at Tiger Stadium or at Auburn's complex or and then you get there and, and, and it's really awesome, but sometimes it's different. So my question is, will this be in your first one? the 50th anniversary, I mean, was it what you thought it was going to be?
2: It was exactly what you said. Ever since I was, gosh, I guess seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, I have not necessarily dreamed of being on that stage, but just wanted to experience the Bassmaster Classic and wanted to experience that stage presence and, and understand and respect what that stage means to every angler that's crossed it. And for me to finally get to do it at a place like Lake Gunnersville and in the 50th classic, it was it was one of those moments that it was one of those weeks, not necessarily moments, but weeks that I'll never be able, no matter how many classics I qualify, I'll never be able to relive what happened that week. And it was so fun to be on a lake not only did I fish my first Classic, did I succeed and have a great tournament in my first Classic, but I actually, it was, it was one of those tournaments where the fish were biting. Gunnersville was, was was going off pretty good that week, and it was just fun to get to experience all that together and know that you only get one first shot, and to make the most of it, I'm pretty, pretty happy with the way things turned out, and, and man, I've said this ever since that tournament every angler that fishes for the for bass whether they do it for fun or want to make a living doing it or doing it for a living that bass master classic stage is where you want to be standing no doubt about it and everybody should get that opportunity
0: absolutely man well amen to that i, I i'm uh, i know that was a thrill for you and not only for you but for your family to to be able to be a part of that and see it and i know that was a special moment for them as well well let's let's hit on the classic man in gunnersville so when you when you show up and roll in with that big rig to uh and drop it in the water what going into it what's your thought process and talk to us about what your strategy was going in and then maybe how that may have changed through the week
2: well it was no no surprise to me to going into that tournament understand that a bridge could play a big part in that tournament. And I practiced some on the bridges, but I really wanted to stay – not necessarily stay away from pressured waters, but stay away from a place that could hit or miss. You could catch them or you could absolutely fall on your face. I wanted to go into it with areas that I knew I could catch some fish. And I tell you, I I got on the whole grass bite in practice. It wasn't great, but you could – And it wasn't like there was concentrations of fish, but you could get bites in those grass beds, patches, whatever you want to call it, consistently enough to make me feel like if I just stuck with that all week, I could have a really strong chance at having a, you know, you never know if you're going to have a chance to win, but you just want to have an opportunity to be there on the final day with a chance to win. And, you know, it was crazy because we had some pretty cold weather leading up to it, but the day before the tournament started on our official day of practice, the fish kind of – the water warmed up a little bit, and there was a lot of fish moving in the backs of the creeks and actually feeding on shad like schooling. And that was kind of a a little plan B that kind of turned into plan A for starting the first day of the Classic. And I actually caught a limit in the first hour that first day, and that really set the tone. I, I caught those fish – in the back of a a well-known creek, they were actually chasing shad, but that first morning of the Classic, it got cold again, so those fish kind of backed back off, and they were just kind of setting in a little depression in there, and I was catching them on a a Booyah Hard Knocker, and just a shad color just casting in there and kind of yo-yoing it through those fish. Caught a limit really quick, and that, again, that set the tone. Uh, Then I kind of started running the grass beds. I was throwing a new bait that all I had at the time was prototypes. It's called a Norman Speed In, And that bait was absolutely the perfect bait for the way those fish were setting up in that grass. It was kind of a, a tight action. It did have a rattle to it, but it was real subtle. It wasn't real loud and raspy like most rattle baits or crank baits that people throw that time of the year. So I was able to really dissect those grass patches And be able to get bites that I feel like a lot of guys weren't able to get just because I had a bait that they weren't throwing. And a lot of again, I think they were biting other things, but confidence is a huge part of what we do and just having the confidence that I could stick with those grass bed areas. And I stayed in areas that were popular. I didn't I didn't sway and try to try to find something off the wall. I just kind of hunkered down in those areas that I knew had fish from years and years past in history, and uh, it just paid off. I mean, there there wasn't much more to it than that, just having confidence to stay with what I was doing and understand that it was going to give me a chance at the end.
1: You know, Stetson, that brings up a good point. I imagine that that is a, that's a big deal, putting your mind at ease when you're able, you said you're able to 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 catch a limit in the first hour. I mean, that that's got to take a lot of the pressure off and help you relax tremendously. I'd I'd love to uh, give us a little insight into the mental aspects of big time bass tournament angling. Like tell us, tell us about the mental and even the physical battles you face that the average non-professional angler might not even be aware of.
2: Sure. Well, it's easy for guys to say, and I hear this all the time, man, you have a dream job, and I would love to do that for a living and that's that there's there's no truer words that could be spoken, but I will say the average angler has no idea the physical strain that it puts on your body to practice three or four days straight from daylight till dark. You get very little sleep, you start an event at daylight, and you go right from practice hard, physical right into the tournament days, which is still hard physical, but it it, it translates into physical and mental once you get into the tournament days because now you have to not only physically withstand that eight, nine-hour day, but you have to mentally prepare yourself for the the goods and the bads and the struggles and the triumphs of that day that you don't even know what's coming yet. And and going back to that first day of the Classic, I was, just like every other angler in that tournament, especially the, the first-timers, man, that first morning takeoff, I was wired up. I was nervous, anxious, <laughs> excited. All those emotions rolled into one, tired from from the lack of sleep and just running and going and, and everything that's involved with that week of the Classic that I was just kind of not necessarily running on adrenaline, but I was just so ready to get started that you always want to start off on a good foot per se and being able to pull in that area. And it wasn't right off the bat, but after, you know, five, 10 minutes of fishing around, I kind of figured out where those fish had moved to and then being able to put a limit in the boat and not to mention that it was a limit that weighed like 14 pounds. So just in your mind, you're thinking, I know it's early. I know it's the first day, but I've set the tone in a positive way. And then the mental side of it, basically washes away and now you just have to do your job and catch every bite you can and make the right decisions throughout that day and that's what people from the outside looking in really don't understand is it's never easy no matter if it's going good I've had some really good tournaments where I've started the day off catching 20 21 pounds in the first 30 minutes and knowing that you're going to be sitting in a good spot at the end of that day but now you've got eight, seven and a half hours, seven hours of your day left to try to figure out things for the next day. Or how can I take this success and move it in to the, to the next day, to the next day, to the final day that's actually standing there holding that trophy? And there's so many things mentally and physically that go into it. It's really funny to take somebody that thinks they want to do it and take them on like a three-day fun fishing trip where you drag them up early and keep them out late and keep them out there in the middle of the day when it's 90 degrees or it's or it's 40 degrees it doesn't take but a couple days to where they're saying man i'm glad i don't have to do this every day so there's there's a (laughs) lot more to it than what people think
0: absolutely and you know i I, i'm gonna take it back to uh and i've never experienced it myself but But my roommate at Auburn and and, and still my best friend is a guy named Scott Sullivan that played 10, 12 years in the big leagues for Cincinnati and then for the Kansas City Royals. We've had a lot of, of, of that conversation to where it's like, yes, I'm doing what a lot of people's dream is and what my dream was and it's fun. And I, you know, I'm so fortunate to be at the level I'm at and get to experience the things I'm experiencing, but people don't realize that aren't there that this, and you said the word a while ago job, It's a job now. And, and it's not just the physical demands of the job. I mean, through like he, you know, like he was talking about, you got spring training, then you got 168 games, and you got playoffs, then, you know, winter workouts. And it's, You know, and one day you go out, you may have a bad day and you start, maybe you're questioning yourself thinking, okay, man, how long am I going to be able to stay here in the big leagues? Is somebody going to, are they going to knock me out? Is somebody going to take my place? And it's just every day, it's a mental struggle. It's a physical struggle. You're away from your family a lot. And so, yes, I would love to be a, I'll say all the time, man, I I wish I could have been a professional fisherman or a professional baseball player, either one, but it's not all glory. Is some, some, sure. some strain involved in that, too.
2: And let me, let me add this to it, something we haven't mentioned yet, is people don't realize that, you know, like you mentioned baseball, those guys have an agent that helps handle all their off-the-field stuff that they have to do. Not very many anglers, once they reach this level, have what you would want to call an agent because the industry is so small that – These companies, they don't want to deal with an agent. They want to speak to you. Yes, my wife helps me a lot, so she handles a lot of that stuff while I'm on the water, but you got to add that sponsor partnership side into it where once you get a good group of partners that support you, they always need something. All of them are always needing something, and you have to have ways to provide that, not to mention keeping your mental and physical side up while you're on the water. So that's just another aspect of it that even those baseball players don't have to really worry about as much as we do having to keep those companies, renegotiating those deals every year, two or three years, and, and making sure that we get them the content and the stuff that they need. is it, It's a huge picture that a lot of people just see. All they see is – us catching bass on TV and how fun that must be, and that's all they see.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, and I hadn't thought about that. That's a that's a whole extra strain, uh, is to keep that that flow going in with with the, with, the uh, with your advertisers and sponsors and things like that. I didn't even think about. It. Well, let let's go back to Gunnersville, real quick. And and so you were cranking grass mainly. Am I correct?
2: Yeah, mainly. I, I had like I said, I had a couple places where the fish were feeding on shad and i could pull in there and get a couple bites pretty quick if the shad were in there but 90 percent of the fish i weighed the quality fish came from that grass
0: well and, and you know i was i was fishing yesterday and and i was i was cranking grass myself a little bit or trying to how do you navigate grass with a crankbait as far as not getting grass i mean it you know, not getting grass on your crankbait the whole time and and, and things like that? Is there a trick to that that I don't know?
2: Well, it all depends on how deep, the the type of grass, the bait. That's one thing that I was so excited about going into that tournament is I knew I had the right bait. They hadn't seen that bait. I figured out that I could throw it on 20-pound test fluorocarbon and was able to keep that bait in that four- to six-foot grass, I can keep it right on top of the grass. And, yes, if you watch the live shows or you watch the, the actual show that aired, you will see a lot of, you know, wasted tasks where you reel it in, there's grass on it. That's just part of the game. But I think the, the biggest thing to remember is is you have to make those adjustments, being a lot of the time I was holding my rod tip at about a ten thirty or 11 o'clock position – being able to keep it up above and throwing it on bigger lines. So it wasn't getting down and just digging in that grass. There was a lot of variables that went into that. And just understanding that it's going to happen. You just have to make more casts than everybody else. So you make more effective casts.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting stuff. And I recall watching years ago and I, I think it was Rick Klun and a show and he was, he was talking about the science of tournament angling really. And and you know, he, he was a thoughtful guy he, he would even break it down Stetson into he kept up with how many casts per per hour or how many casts per minute. I mean he, he literally knew, you know, how many seconds out of every minute that he had his bait in the in the water, how many how many seconds in every out of every minute that he had his bait in the in the the likely strike zone. You're always thinking about things like that, I would imagine.
2: Yes, but I, I approach the sport a little bit different than a lot of guys. And everybody finds success in their own ways. But for me, I really try to make it as uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? As uh, easy as possible. I don't try to make it difficult because in the at the end of the day, in the tournaments that I finish, I'm looking for the five biggest fish that I can keep. I'm not trying to catch 40 or 50. And I feel like if you present your bait in the right way enough throughout the day, you're going to have a chance at five big fish most situations and most times. And for me, that's where I find success is, is not making it difficult. Find the baits that you're confident in. Know what works in those lakes in that time of year or those, that region of the country in that time of year. And stick with it, because a lot of times it ain't about what you're using. It's about where you're using it. And for me, there's a lot of science that's involved, but for me, I try to stay away from that and just use the general knowledge that I've gathered throughout growing up fishing and and through my career and understanding that. For me, I find way more success when I fish very simple.
0: Uh, That makes sense. At Gunnerville, you know you're going to be fishing grass. You got that in your mind. You've got choices. You've got, you can throw spinnerbait, chatterbait, jerkbait. What was it that made you go, you know what, I'm not going, I'm going to the crankbait?
2: Well, it's funny you mention all those. I actually started practice with two of each of those. Two spinnerbaits, two vibrating jigs, two baits, two or three or four crankbaits. And I actually had two lipless crankbaits. I had a Booyah Hard Knocker and a Booyah One Knocker. And I feel like, again, I keep it simple. Even though that sounds complicated, I had two of each. I want to find out what style, what's going on. Do they want that jerk, jerk pause over the, over the grass? Do they want that vibrating jig just kind of fluttering through the grass? Do they want that lipless crankbait yo-yoed? Do they want it steady retrieved? And I tried all that stuff, and for me, it just came down to I couldn't get bit on a lipless crankbait except every now and then. Now, I did weigh in a couple really key fish on it in the tournament, but it was still grass-related, and it was in areas that I realized fish were using more than others as the tournament progressed. But during practice, every time I picked up that uh, speed in, I was able to catch a a three-and-a-half to five-pound fish on it. And it wasn't fast and furious in practice, but it was enough to let me know that, okay, I've tried this vibrating jig. I've tried two or three different colors. I haven't gotten any bites. I'm talking no bites. So a spinnerbait, if it was windy and there was a little color in the water, I could get a bite on a spinnerbait. But if I got in those clear areas, they wouldn't bite it as good. So you just have to, you have to eliminate the things that aren't working. And for me, that's what I do. That's how I keep things simple if it's not working, I'm not throwing it. If I can get some bites on it, I know I only need five in a day, and I'm going to stick with those few things, whatever they may be, and for that tournament, for me, it was two lipless crankbaits, and it was the Norman Speed In. and I had, I had a, a hard knocker that was a shad color, and I ended up Catching some on a hard knocker, that was you know the the red craw color, and for me that's what the game's all about. Now I had that speed in in a bunch of different colors, but I got bit first on what they call chili bowl, which is a red craw color, and I stuck with it. Yes, I mixed in some other colors, but every time I'd pick that one up, I would get another quality bite, and it's just using common sense for me, not making it again too complicated. Understand that they're telling you what they're wanting. You get a bite on something, it's not an accident. I don't think even one bite is an accident. And I think that's how guys can really mess themselves up by thinking or hearing stories of you gotta be throwing a red vibrating jig. Well, not necessarily. Yes. I got beat, the guy finished second was throwing a red vibrating jig quite a bit. But for me, my confidence was in that crankbait and that's what worked and you know, I just I just kind of broke it down throughout that week of practice to understand that I felt my confidence was going to be, you know, the best and most well served with that bait in my hand.
0: You let the fish dictate. I mean, you, you give them the, some smart options from years of experience, and then you let the fish dictate – what you're gonna key on so you came to the realization that hey i'm, I'm catching more fish better fish this is this is the bait i want to stick with right here if you don't mind walk us through kind of the the equipment that that you use when you're cranking from the you've talked a little bit about the crankbait sure Go all the way back from the rod the reel the retrieve the line you use and i mean i'm sure there's specific reasons that you use all that and i would love to hear kind of the the insight on what you're, how you rigged the whole deal.
2: Sure. Well, this year, as you guys know, is uh, I joined forces with Academy Sports and Outdoors. And not only that, but I actually joined the H2O pro staff side of Academy for rods and reels. So this year, I'm using all their rods and reels. We're actually uh, working on some new stuff right now in their rods. And I'm really, really excited to be working with a company like that that has as big a footprint as they do in our sports and they're letting me have a a lot to say and input in what's going on and here here's how i was looking at this i was throwing an an ethos hd reel that's an h express reel and i was throwing it in a six six to one gear ratio on that crankbait and you say well why was you throwing it such a slow retrieve well I had it paired on a 7.3. It's a it's a new crankbait rod that they just put out in their Ethos HD lineup. And it was a good, I'm going to say a, a heavier action crankbait rod. And what I was doing is I wanted it, I was throwing it on, like I said, 20 pounds. I was throwing it on Seaguar and VizX. And how I was able to, to make it all work for me was casting that crankbait out there big line, slow reel. Even though I was moving fast, covering a lot of water, I was able to reel that, get that speed right with that slower retrieve reel to where I could keep that grass just below the bait. And occasionally I would hit the grass. It wasn't necessarily important to be uh, hitting the top of it or ticking the top, as they say. I just needed to be close enough to where those fish would strike. And Having a little bit stiffer rod, I was able to pop that bait out of the grass and clear the bait when I did get it on the bait. And so for me, all that together is what makes success and confidence. And I'll tell you another piece of that puzzle that was really important was I was throwing a uh, Gamakatsu uh, G-finesse snap on the front of that. And I feel like that snap was allowing that bait to stay clear of grass a lot better. And again, that was confident. It has nothing to do with a science or a study I've done on it. It was just my confidence. I felt like I was staying clear of the grass better. Uh, another key that I was doing was I was using the new Gamakatsu G Finesse treble hooks. But now they make one that is a medium wire. So they came out with the, the the light wire a few years back, but now they have one that's a medium wire and it's absolutely perfect for lipless crankbaits and crankbaits alike. And I just feel like all that working together, it's not about was what I was using the only thing that you could use that would work. Absolutely not. But it was what was working for me and it gave me 100% confidence that I was gonna land the bites that I got that my bait was in the strike zone, the maximum time that it could be, and that I was going to actually have a chance at the end to be standing there on that final day. And that's exactly how – it doesn't always work out like that, but this is one of those times where it was just spot on, everything worked flawlessly,
1: and, you know, there it was. Stetson, changing gears just a little bit, I'm a fisheries biologist. My background is in is in the science and in the resource management side of things. And I'm curious, what are you seeing regarding the resources out there, our our bass fisheries and the water resources? It it sure seems like that. Generally speaking, the resources are very healthy, uh, at least for the most part. And it it seems like uh, certainly on the the professional angling side, you guys are are catching bigger bags, more fish, bigger fish. Is that what you're seeing out there? I mean, t- tell us what you're seeing across the country. Well, I think that the majority of the fisheries that I've been to are, are very, very well
2: managed. I think that's the biggest thing, is it's not necessarily the angling that's going on on those fisheries as much as what those each state's wildlife management people are actually doing. And I know on the on the pro-angling side of it, that Bassmaster has a great staff of people that takes care of these fisheries. And and some of these tournaments, we have meetings specifically on how are we going to leave this lake better than we found it. And there's always things that we can all do better. But I'm going to tell you something. I feel like right now there are more fish being released after they're caught than there ever has been ever before. I think there's more anglers. But there's a lot more catch and release going on. So when you see a picture of a of a fish that dies, it's kind of a skewed view from the public eye because I feel like that there's way more fish being turned loose than there are going into the frying pan or going on the wall. And and that's a great thing. But I can tell you right now that bass as a whole and us as anglers. We get penalized for having dead fish. For one, we can't throw dead fish back. So we do everything that we can to manage our fish personally, but they're only ours for a week. And we have to understand that when we're through with that lake, we want to make sure that every one of those bass goes back into that lake and they are successfully released and live to be caught the next time we go or for the next generation when they show up. And for me, I feel like that I've noticed it a lot in the last, I'm going to say three to five years, that the live release rates have went up tremendously. And there's so many things that, and this isn't necessarily for me because I understand these, but for the average angler that may be listening, there's so many things that you can do. Say you go fishing for fun and you you don't want to keep any fish, but you want to make sure like you catch a six or eight pounder and you want to take pictures of it. But you want to you go back to the ramp. You want your, your mom, your brother, whoever's coming to take your picture, or whatever the case may be, you want to make sure if you put that fish in your live well that you do everything possible to release that fish alive and healthy. And some things that I do, and everybody's got their own opinion, but I use the TH Marine G-Juice, and that just keeps those fish calm in the live well. And it doesn't matter if you're tournament fishing or just fishing for fun. If you're going to put a fish in your live well, that stuff will really help. Uh, keep your live well cool. Not necessarily ice cold because you don't want to shock those fish, as you all know, but you want to keep it cool so they're, it, it's more stable to what they were caught in. You know, If that water temps 70, 80 degrees, you want to make sure that that water is not 98 in your live well. And just, just keep an eye on those fish. And I think if we all do that, I think the fisheries that we have right now are some of, some of those lakes that we go to that are well-known fisheries are as strong as they've ever been. And I feel like you're seeing that a lot more, especially last year and this year with Bassmaster Is the is the live release uh, catch or rates are way down because we're all understanding that we have to do our part in making sure that the next generations, just like my son, he's seven years old. I want him to get to experience these quality fisheries that I've gotten to experience running all over the country. And I I just feel like that right now, it's as good as it's ever been. And my hat's off to everybody doing a great job and and all these states that are taking care of these fisheries and, and making sure that their fishermen understand what's important and how to manage them properly
1: that, that's outstanding you know circling back real quick to something that I think maybe a lot of folks don't understand uh, you mentioned you guys cannot release dead fish so in other words you put a fish in your live well and it dies you can't call that fish you're stuck with that fish uh, and, and that, that's a big try. deal certainly provides incentives to keep them healthy and alive.
2: Well, yes, it does. And for one, the anglers that fish at this level, we we throw them all back. We don't want anything happening to these fish. But we also understand that the reality of it is, is if you catch one, I've had fish die that there was nothing wrong with. The hook was hooked in the outside, in the edge of the lip, right there in the soft part of the skin. You put them in the live well, and in five minutes they die and that's just part of nature. I mean, a lot more fish, in my opinion, get caught by eagles and ospreys and turtles and whatever else is in the water, muskies, pikes. There's a lot of stuff that's lost to nature, way more than a bass or two in a live well. and I just feel like that bass has set the standard with putting those penalties in place to where you do everything you can to make sure that those fish go back in the lake as alive and well as
0: possible. Well, and you know, you. I think part of it's a generational thing. I think it's a mix between education and generation. And what I mean by that is we've all been educated. We know how important it is to catch and release, especially the catch and release. And, and Norman, I know in your world and the pond management, it's a different thing than these large lakes. I mean, a certain amount of fish have to be taken out of those lakes. Uh, to manage them and keep those legs healthy but I think for most part we've all been educated to the importance of catch and release but you back up and look at like my dad my my daddy don't know what throwing a fish back means he grew up in a generation though where he's eating fried food every meal anyway I mean he's frying he's catching them he's cleaning them and he's frying them I think we're And this is nothing against that generation, but I think that we're more, we don't eat as much fried food as the generation before us to start with. So I'm not frying the fish I used to fry, even when I was younger. So if I'm not frying them, then I'm throwing them back. And I I think, so I do think you see some generational uh, changes that are positive for the conditions of our lakes and fisheries around the country right now.
2: Let me add this to this too, because I don't want people listening to think that oh, well, this is another one of those pro anglers that don't want me eating his fish. First of all, they're not my fish. They're they're everybody's fish to enjoy. And there are limits put in place so that people that want to eat them can eat them. And I am totally for, if you want to keep a limit of bass, I don't know why you would when there's crappie in the lake, but that's not (laughs) my business. If you want to keep your limit of bass, Keep your limit of bass. My thing is, a bass that's over two and a half, three pounds does not taste that good anyway. So if you want to keep a limit of bass, go keep them. Keep your limit, but throw those three and a half, four pounders back. I mean, those fish are the ones that are doing the most of your spawn in anyway, and they're 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 the ones that are regenerating that lake for the next generation of anglers. So you know, just be smart. I mean, keep your limit, but just be smart with those big ones and enjoy them and catch them and you know, enjoy the fight, put them in your live well, take a picture, take care of them and turn them suckers loose.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, well Stetson, again, buddy, congratulations on your success uh, through your career, uh, through the, the classic on Gunnerville. We're, we're glad you got to come to Alabama and, and have some success and enjoy our resources here. And um, man, we just wish you the best of luck and stay safe on the road and on the water out there. And, and man, I, I hope you'll jump back on here again sometime. It's been a pleasure having you and getting to talk with you.
2: Hey, absolutely. And hey, we'll be we'll be back down here in a few weeks on Lake Upland. So we're uh, we're about to get the season kicked back up and uh, can't wait to get back down here and uh, see what Alabama has to offer offer me this go around.
0: Hey, you might want to listen to the podcast. We got some guys from follow It call in that, that catch fish down there. <laughs> I mean, they catch them. So, uh, maybe, maybe get, some, get some tips and secrets for that. That's a big body of water and a fun lake to fish.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I can't wait. Hey, guys, thanks again for having me, and I look forward to the next time.
0: Thanks, Stetson. We appreciate you, buddy.
2: Thank you, Stetson. All right, see you all.
0: All right, Norman. Man, that was uh, that was some very, very good information and uh, and detailed information uh, from Stetson, and we re- we really appreciate him being on. Uh, man, I think we can all take a lot away from that, from the mental side and the physical side and the that these guys face out there, and kind of his thought process was really interesting of, of of how he goes through on these tournaments. Man, that was a great segment. But we not to be outdone. We got another great guy on here for segment two right now logan parks is joining us from and this is this is so fun for me to say from the auburn tigers fishing team he is the captain of the auburn tigers fishing team welcome to the show logan yes sir war eagle i appreciate you guys having me on war eagle i I got i met logan where'd we meet we met down at icast a couple years ago right yes sir two years
3: ago i think we met last year too but uh the first time we met, I guess, was two years ago.
0: That's right. And then I think we were, I can't remember where we were this past year. I don't think it was ICAZ, AT, ATA show or something like that. We, we go to so many of these things. Who knows? We've got Logan, our co-host on here with us, is, is Norman. He is the owner of Southeastern Pond Management. And uh, I know that uh, there's a, there's probably some of you guys on the fishing team that are in the, in the pond management program there at Auburn, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. I'm sure uh, we got a lot of guys in the wildlife industry. I'm sure there's
3: definitely some guys on our team that are looking into that.
1: Yeah, Logan, I was going to ask you if you happen to be a fisheries major. I was a fisheries major back in the mid-90s at Auburn. And, uh, in fact, back in the day, the wildlife and fisheries guys, were we were able to they, – they let us fish some of those upper station research ponds. You talk about some – incredible fishing now you, you guys ever get access to those those what we call the upper station the, the research ponds uh on the upper station there in auburn uh, you ever get access to them
3: well i was in a, uh, a fisheries camp actually when i was in high school at auburn and we got to go up there and fish them a couple times but unfortunately they don't they don't really let us get up there and fish now it'd be fun though for sure I bet that the fishing was pretty good when we fished it. That was probably ten years ago, so I can imagine what it's like now.
0: I imagine it's really good. Well, Logan, one of the things that we'd love to hear, man, is you know, with with you know the the quarantine and and you know the coronavirus, things got messed up for for a lot of the sports through the schools and you know whether it was baseball getting canceled and. And how did it affect you guys? Where, when are you going to kick back off? Uh, are you going to get a, another year of eligibility? Kind of walk through where we're at with the NCAA and 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 Auburn right now and in, in, in the fishing. Okay. Well, as far as
3: NCAA, like we're we're technically a club sport at Auburn, so we don't have to worry about any of those regulations. Um, they are talking about letting. Seniors that have graduated sign a waiver to be able to come back and finish out their season. Looks like everything's pretty much been rescheduled on into the fall. But I think things are finally about to start picking back up, hopefully. We've got our uh, Collegiate Bass National Championship scheduled for June 10th and 11th on Lake Pickwick in North Alabama. And the first day of practice is uh, June 6th. So hopefully that's going to go on and we can finally get back to fishing, man, I miss it.
0: Absolutely. Now, what? Now, where's home to you?
3: I actually grew up in Auburn. I went to Auburn High School, so I I didn't go too far away for college. But I I knew what I wanted to do pretty much as soon as I met Jordan Lee. I was like, that's what I want to do is fish for Auburn. So it was a pretty easy decision for me.
1: Logan, that kind of explains how you ended up in Auburn, but how, how did you end up on the on the Auburn fishing team? Did you, uh, did Auburn High School have a fishing team? Did you participate at the high school level?
3: Yes, sir, I did. I've always loved fishing growing up. I love playing baseball, and I love fishing. I think it was about eighth grade. I actually didn't make the baseball team at Auburn High School, and I was pretty bummed about that, and, uh, started looking into you know what else I could do heard there was fishing like in high school going on competitively so we looked into it and uh, me and a good buddy of mine Lucas Lindsay and a couple of other of our friends that we would pond fish with back in the day we got together with the principal and uh, we found a coach for our team and we actually founded the Auburn high school bass fishing team so I fished in high school from 8th through 12th grade So I kind of had an idea of tournament fishing when I got to Auburn University.
0: Man, that's good. Hats off to you for taking that on and taking the lead on that. Man, that's uh, that's that's well done. I I know that there's a lot of difference in uh, how you get found and how you get to an Auburn fishing team. So if there's younger guys out here that are listening to us, I mean, you know, when you're playing baseball or football, you've got recruiters that go around, your, your, your coach sends film and, you know, and and you get looked at and seen and send your stats. And and that's kind of how you get noticed by the, these colleges and eventually get recruited and, and signed. How's that process now at Auburn. I mean, if a kid in Alabama is listening to this show, he's on the high school team, and he wants to go to that next step, what's that process to get there?
3: To get to the college level, my best piece of advice definitely would be you know, your junior, senior year of high school, when you're able to drive 16, 17, 18 years old, I would definitely recommend taking the boat and your fishing partner or whatever and going and trying to figure it out on your own without a boat captain, because I think that's a big transition for a lot of high school kids. They're uh, used to having an older guy in the boat with them, kind of helping them out with making decisions. And you kind of just get dressed into the college world and you're all on your own. So I think that's a big transition. But as far as getting, I guess, noticed, Auburn doesn't offer any scholarships right now, unfortunately for fishing, but there's a lot of schools that do there's actually a, a website that we've we've been in touch with the, the owner of it's called TopTierFishing.com, tier um, and you can go on there and it's kind of like uh, I guess like where you would upload your football highlights or whatever it's similar to that where you would go in and make an account and put all your stats on that website and that's a good way to get noticed by I mean there's probably 40 colleges on there for uh, fishing teams so uh, I definitely recommend going on there and making an account, and they can use our code Auburn, A-U-B-U-R-N, to sign up and get your first month free, that's definitely probably the best way to get noticed by colleges right now. But like I said, Auburn doesn't offer scholarships, but what we do offer is the the possibility to get everything paid for, which I think a lot of these schools can't necessarily afford. Even though they may give you a scholarship to come there, what we do offer is we pay for your hotels and uh, your room and board for basically every college event we fish and then if you go to that event and you come in the top three like if you're the top three auburn boats at that tournament we will pay for your gas in your truck and your boat and your oil and your entry fees so uh, we try to make it as affordable as possible for you guys
1: logan how how competitive is the is the collegiate bass fishing scene i mean how, how good are you guys they're they're it's pretty pretty darn good angling huh
3: Yes, sir. It's it's definitely uh, about as tough as it gets. I would say that having two people in the boat is honestly makes it so much tougher. Like, I mean, I think we go to the, the same places that the pros go and our weights are, are just as heavy, if not heavier, just because, I mean, you've got two lines in the water at once and everybody there is, is serious about it. I mean, the difference between going from the high school level of competition to college is astronomical. These guys are good, and they're they're serious about it. I mean, we all want to get to the next level, you know, where you said Stetson, Blaylock, you just talked to him. We all want to be in those shoes, you know, competing against those guys. The competition is very stout.
0: And Auburn's had some good success. I mean, you guys have had some pretty good finishes.
3: Yes, sir, we have. We've got a really good team. I would say definitely – the number one D1 school team in the country. You see a lot of these teams that have really good teams. You know, they're scholarship-based, but they're, like, really small schools. And out of, like, the big-name schools, I would say Auburn's at the top. Right now we're sitting in fourth in school of the year point. And unfortunately, due to the virus, all of our events leading up to the national championship have been rescheduled for the fall. And so, like, basically you earn points at each event and you try and climb up to that number one spot. And uh, the national championship is the, like caps it off, and that's when they award the number one school of the year. So unfortunately, it looks like this season we're not going to be able to have enough events left. I mean, we only have the national championship to uh, to achieve that number one spot. But I'm looking forward to next season. I think we got some really good guys coming in, and uh, we really want to try and earn that number one school of the year spot. That would be a huge honor.
1: How many events? Do you guys fish in a in a season in a normal season, obviously, like you said this year was uh, got messed up by the virus but when when is the fishing season? when are the the events and and how many events do you guys typically fish in a year?
3: so we have our fall qualifiers, which we host just amongst the team, like I said, the gas reimbursement's based off of your tournament performance, so the fall qualifiers are really just to uh figure out who gets our, like, sponsorship product. You know, we get rods from some of our sponsors. Like, we get a rod from Dobbins for our top 12 teams. We get rain suits from Frog Tog. So, it's basically just seeing who's the best of the best on the team. So, we have four of those in the fall. And then we typically have a couple other fall events. It just depends on who's hosting events in the fall. But the main season is in the spring. And then we fish three different trails and then sometimes a fourth. So we fish the Bass Nation events, and there's four college events and a national championship. And then we fish the FLW events, and we have we're in the southeastern region, so we fish three southeastern events and a national championship. But FLW actually opened it up this season to where you could go fish any division. So you could fish there's three events in our division, or you could fish you know I think there's 12 total, so you could fish all 12 of them. And then there's the Collegiate Bass Trail and they typically have three or four events in a season and a national championship. So, I mean, you're looking at – I mean, you can fish as little or as much as you want if you come to Auburn, but you're looking at fishing. I mean, you don't have to fish any, but typically about 12 events a year, in the spring at least.
0: So, have you been able to fish any in the last couple of days, last week or so?
3: I've been fishing some, uh, some night pot derbies on Lake Martin trying to uh knock some rust off you know but uh i mean there's there's a few things going on here and there but it's really it's been slow
0: well and we've had a crazy year with uh with the weather and the water conditions and you know cold fronts coming through and and heavy rain pour downpours and uh so it's made it for a a tough spring but from from what we're hearing man all that's coming back and and the fishing is really really good right now and changing so i was just gonna see you know if you had a when you're going like the last time you went fishing on lake martin in a night i mean you know what are you using kind of kind of walk us through maybe a a technique or how you were going about fishing that tournament to catch fish
3: i can talk about the night derbies but i mean it's it's pretty straightforward you just try and hit as many green lights as possible and uh throwing swim baits and jerk baits and all kinds of stuff i guess the most recent time i went fishing i went to lake eufaula last week and we caught them pretty good so i'll talk about that um if that's okay
0: well heck yeah man absolutely i I, and stetson uh i'm gonna send this to him he might want to listen to that because he's coming down to fish eufaula in a big tournament two weeks
3: it's fishing pretty good right now for sure there's still a lot of uh largemouth up shallow i actually um, I would definitely recommend for Stetson and all the Elite Series, if they're fishing on Ufaula, to register for the, uh, it's called the Bass Cash Blast or something like that. And basically what they did was they released 150 fish with tags in them in the lake. And if you catch one and you're registered for the event, you can win, I think, $1,500. So of course, I'd didn't know about this, and I go down to Eufala, and I just happen to catch one of these tagged fish,
1: oh, and goodness. I get the,
3: I get the don't be that guy prize package instead of fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> That's but, um, great. great. Yeah, you know that figures for real. There's still a lot of, of big fish up shallow, but you can tell they're definitely leaving. I went a couple weeks ago and and caught them pretty good, um, swimming a jig in the grass and throwing a frog, and then um, this past week it was a little tougher. Um, I think the fish are starting to move out and get offshore on the ledges. So now's going to be a good time to, to try and scan as much as possible and find those in-between spots, you know, that post-spawn. They're not quite offshore. There's still some shallow. There's some offshore, but they're mainly in between. And that time of year, the brush pile bite can get really, really good. I would definitely think that the Elite Series will be one offshore fishing piles, probably guys running and gunning, fishing as many as possible in the day.
1: Logan, how, uh, and I imagine some of our listeners would, would like this information too. How would one go about finding out more information about Auburn fishing, uh, both in terms of just keeping up with what you guys are doing and also, you know, younger guys that might be interested in, in, in pursuing fishing uh, uh, collegiately? Is there a website? What's the best way to to keep up with you guys probably the best way to keep up with us is
3: following us on social media we have one of the biggest social medias i would say out of any of the college teams so you can give us a follow on instagram at auburn university bass team or you can look us up on facebook at auburn university bass team and if they have any questions they can just send us a message and we'll respond we have a i think a pretty pretty much 100 response rate on facebook for young guys looking at coming to auburn That's one thing that I really like about our program is that because it's not scholarship, I mean, you don't technically have to make the team like you would at other schools. So anyone is able to join and sign up. And as long as you pay your dues and do your community service and and do, I think we have two fundraisers that you're required to help, help work and you'll get your Jersey and all that. And then, You're welcome to go to as little tournaments or as many tournaments as you want. We want you to travel and compete and fish as much as possible. And everyone has a fair chance of getting their gas reimbursed. It really just comes down to who's the best fisherman on the team. And then, like I said, we pay our top three teams at each tournament. If we go up to 12 boats at a tournament, we'll pay another boat. And then for every three, I guess for every three boats, after we have nine go to a tournament, we pay an extra spot. So I think at Smith Lake, this past February, we had 16 boats, so we paid our top five teams at that event.
0: Man, that's encouraging, Logan, and you know, exciting that you can be a guy in the high school level right now. If you want to go to Auburn, you don't have to, you know, send out tapes and recruit recruiters. recruited. You can basically just show up and say, "Hey, I, I'm here. I want to fish. I love it. I'm 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 pretty darn good at it, and I want a shot at making the Auburn team. That's uh, and which is, like you said, one of the top, if not the top, D one school for fishing teams in the, in the country right now. So. Man, that's very encouraging for younger guys. And, man, we'll, we'll definitely be following you on, on Instagram and Facebook and, and keeping up with you guys. I got one question before I let you go, and I want to see how smart you are, Logan. Yes, sir. Plus, I want the advice for next time I'm fishing. So I'm fishing a pond that Norman manages actually kind of his uh, – he's, he's, he's kind enough to, to not run me out of there all the time. But two days ago, Fishing eight, 10 foot of water, 12 foot of water, standing structure, a uh, lot, of, lot of timber. Uh, and we were fishing brush hogs and lizards. And it seemed like a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time, the, the fish were hitting it on the fall. I mean, you were throwing yes, it out there and as it was falling, you were getting a hit. If you're in a condition where you're seeing that, what do you do? Do you stick with a worm and just keep catching them on the fall? Or is there something that you want to change to, to try to keep that bait in that? Obviously, I'm figuring those fish must be suspended. What are you going to do in that situation? Stick to it or go to something else?
3: In that situation, you know, I definitely if they're hitting it on the fall like that, those fish are probably up in the water column and they're wanting to feed. They're pretty active. So, I would definitely switch up and throw a moving bait in that situation, depending on the conditions. You know, if it's cloudy and windy or uh, if it's sunny, I would probably throw, you know, the windier it is, I would throw a spinner bait if it's really windy. But one of my go to baits is a chatter bait. And it just depends on how much timber it is, you know, if you can get away with it or not. A chatter bait, you can typically stay right in that strike zone i know uh, i guess you're fishing 12 foot of water hitting it on the fall so you could probably run that thing through there about five or six feet deep and uh i think you could i mean you can cover a lot more water that way and uh definitely put it in front of a lot more fish
0: man i like it well don't don't tell norman that strategy that way maybe i can beat him when we go out there fishing guys the tip of the day today is brought to you by great days outdoors Great Days Outdoors magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason-Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Give me a call at 601-383-2344. Hey, Logan, man, thank you for jumping on. Uh, We love to call, and we look forward to having you back on again. We hope you'll come back and join us. Man, good luck to you personally. Good luck to the Auburn fishing team. Thank you,
3: absolutely. We're uh, looking forward to getting back after this national championship. We've had some success up there um, in the past, Um, so I think it should be a good event for us, and maybe we can climb up. If, if we can't come in first in school of the year, maybe we could at least come in second or third. That'd be, that'd be good. So hopefully we can get after them. and I appreciate you guys having, having us on.
1: Hey, great to meet you, Logan. I'll be looking for you on TV in the coming years, man. I hope so. Yes, sir. It was nice to meet you
3: too. And uh, if, if any young guys are listening um, and you're interested about uh, coming to Auburn fishing for Auburn, just follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook and uh, send us a message and, We'll get to we'll get back to you
0: all right Logan thank you buddy we appreciate it stay safe out there
3: yes sir thank you
0: war eagle war eagle all right thanks again Logan for joining us man what a great show Norman I mean we had two two super good guests on there today
1: yeah uh, outstanding I really enjoyed listening to the to the whole mental side of things uh in terms of Big time tournament angling from Stetson. He kind of opened my eyes a little bit about what all goes into fighting your way through and being competitive in a big time bass fishing tournament.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. And, and, you know, even just, you know, going into as much detail about, about how to, how we, you know, chose crankbaits, the, the setup he used kind of, and like you said, the mental part of it, man, is just, that's good information and and hopefully stuff that all, all our listeners can take away from from the show today and Logan man these guys he's right this this sport is with this high school and this college fishing it's a growing thing it's great for for fishing and we're blessed in Alabama to have so many great lakes and wonderful fisheries that um and I'm glad to see these guys doing good and and keeping the sport growing So we we really appreciate him being on here. Well, folks, that's going to be a wrap for this week, and it was a great week. Please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. If you'd like us to email you the podcast, just head on over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash AFFR, and we'll send you the new show each and every week. We appreciate all our sponsors. Norman, thank you for jumping on at the last minute being a co-host today, buddy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. love doing it and enjoyed it. Talk to you real soon. All
0: right, buddy. Sounds good. Alabama Fishing Report out. We'll see you all next week. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Killer Dock. Check out the full line of all natural dock-enhancing fish cleaning stations at killerdock.com. And also brought to you by geico of mobile give ron davis your geico agent a call at 251-445-0053 or visit him online at geico.com forward slash mobile dash a l And brought to you by Fish Bites, ready to go when you are, regardless of when you're ready to go fishing. This bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait. Check them out, fishbites.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.